Joining me on Greenlight is one of my good buddies, uh, you know, a classmate of mine in the, in the NFL draft, one of my favorite players, Cliff Averill. Cliff, how are we doing? By the way, Cliff is, I should intro him correctly, not only 74 career sacks, Pro Bowl, Super Bowl <laughs> champion, uh, but KJR 950, that's, that's where you got your show now in Seattle? Yes, yes, yes. I got a sports talk show that I've been doing here for like the last year, year and a half now. Um, just talking football, man. Just trying to figure out this transition thing, man. <laughs> trying to get like you. No, dude. That's right. We were joking. Uh, this that's that's what old guys say to each other on the phone or when they when they run into each other. I'm trying to get like you. That's what we said to we we. I <laughs> said it to you when we get that's we're getting old because we're starting to do that shit. Uh, it it's it really is good to have Cliff on. Uh, you know, obviously with. With with Seattle in the race and 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 actually first right now in the playoff race, uh, and we know how how lethal that can be for the rest of the league if they get home field. Uh, nobody knows better than this guy. What was it like rushing in that stadium? I was always jealous. <laughs> unreal, man. Yeah. It's unreal. You know, obviously, you know, my background coming from Detroit, then coming to an atmosphere like what the the Seahawks have in the twelves. First and foremost, they truly, truly believe this whole 12 man mantra like they feel like they're a part of the team with that and that's why they turn up when you come to the games man and it's unreal it's it, you know it's the closest thing you'll get in the NFL to a college environment you know you go to the Penn States and and uh all these big universities with 100,000 people and and going crazy like that's the vibe yeah. you get here in Seattle and you know as a pass rusher you know, getting that split second to to be able to jump off the line of scrimmage, man, that means a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it means oh, a lot. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I got a lot of sacks at home <laughs> well, I, say, due to the crowd. I hated to watch it because it was always against us. And, and we we, <laughs> we won some uh, – well, we didn't win many games up there. But we, 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 we used to hit Russ a lot. But, but you guys used to always tee off on whoever we had because <laughs> when you have that little split second – and you can't even like I'm talking about. It, it is the loud. It's the loudest place in the in the league, right? You don't buy you don't buy the Arrowhead and and the New Orleans no. thing, do you? No, they. I mean, they get loud. Don't get me wrong; they're pretty loud. But nothing's messing with uh, a night game here in Seattle, primetime yeah. game. Yeah. Oh um, man, you couldn't hold a conversation with somebody standing two you feet can. away from. And it's perpetually the same weather in December. It's 42 yeah. and raining. And like yeah. light rain, and and when we played you guys, it was always, hey, we keep it close, we keep it close, and there was always that one turnover in the third or fourth quarter that fucked us over. Actually, earlier <laughs> on this pod, um, I was talking about uh, the beast quake in that year, but you weren't there yet. Were you there? No, I wasn't no, there for the beast. You were quake. still in Detroit. Do you have any Detroit memories? That that the do you have a great Detroit memory or something that you remember about Detroit? Look look back fondly because I know the teams were struggling. I was in St. Louis. We were both kind of on Midwestern teams that yeah. that were that were that were having a rough time. And I just remember seeing you playing through a lot of 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 tough tough situations. Was there a high there? Man, you know what? For me, throughout the process, it was honestly just. My mindset was don't be the reason why. Yeah. Don't be the reason why we're losing so many games. Don't be the reason why, you know, uh, this organization isn't able to, to, to get things going. But I would say, uh, you know, we had one winning season. We went 10 and 6. And that was a season where I got to watch Calvin Johnson just be great. Just yeah. be uh, this MVP caliber, this Hall of Fame caliber player. Uh, and, and the one play that comes to mind, this happened a few times that year, but Calvin was just out there mossing guys in yeah. the end zone and in particular against the Cowboys. Um, you know, he went up like three or four times and just I'm talking about two, three, four people are wrapped around him. 
Right. And somehow he leaps above everybody and snatching balls left and right. And for me, it was just impressive because he was a part of that 0-16 team with me as well. Yeah. Where it was, you know, we all know the NFL, right? Nobody wants the the, the stigma of being 0-16, being winless or whatever. Coaches coming in, they're trying to, you know, completely tear up the locker room and bring new players in. So myself, Calvin Johnson, and a few other guys, we were just, man, hey, we're not going to be the reason why you guys continue to lose. We're going to, we're trying to keep our jobs and different things like that. But seeing him kind of, you know, show me essentially the way of being a pro through that whole process and still out there dominating to the, to the fullest yeah. was impressive stuff. So no, just seeing I, him. I'm not sure what's harder, Cliff. Sorry, I'm not sure what's harder is, is playing on a losing team or being on a great team because they both have their challenges. And I think a lot of people, they, they think it's easier than it is playing on a great team. And I got a taste of that late in my career. You have to make certain sacrifices. And, and you guys, when you got to, to Seattle, you, you went from this team where you were trying not to be the reason, and I was the same way in St. Louis. And by the way, the year you went 0-16, we beat you guys on a fake field goal. That's the only reason we didn't go 0-16. <laughs> I uh, remember. Yeah, we hit Daniel Fells on a fake field goal. Uh, to beat you guys, and uh, and we just missed history. But by the way, when when the Dolphins, everybody was talking about they were going to go in 16, they were the worst team in the league. By the way, I, I'm sure you knew this too. They, they, we know shitty teams when we look at them. That team's bad, but they're not as bad as some of the teams we were on. And 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 um, our point differential was actually worse through eight games than the Dolphins' first game, first eight games this this year. So uh, you and I have PhDs in shitty football, but when you get to a good team. You're part of that historic group. Uh, what was it like being, you know, with the LOB behind you and that great defensive line up front? How do you? What are the sacrifices you have to make on a great defense? Oh man, I mean the list is long, honestly. Especially when you come from what I what we're just talking about being on a crappy team, right? Where you need to be that guy, right? Yeah. You come to Seattle, man, and one of the main reasons I signed you, uh, you as a pass rusher, would understand this. One of the main reasons I signed with Seattle was. Because of LOB, the guys on the back end, because I knew I'd get a split second longer Clock. to be able to get after that quarterback, right? So um, coming here, man, honestly, it like for me, it was like, how do you fit into this defense? How do you, how are you going to to make plays in a defense full of elite athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And my thing was the sack fumble. Like yeah. I had to find ways to get turnovers, right? Because that was our big thing. We need to get turnovers. We need to get turnovers. Well, as a D lineman, that's the only way you're going to get them. You're not getting right. interceptions or right. anything like that. So. I, I just I just focused more. I mean, I used to do it anyways, but I focused more on getting sack fumbles. And that was my way of contributing to something that was already so special, right? So Yeah, you had sack, your thing. You had your niche, yeah. And just trying to find that niche and finding figuring out how I could how I could play a role in this defense. Dude, when I tell you it was so hard making plays in this defense. Because everybody's making tackle, them. If you miss a tackle, you probably wouldn't get another tackle the yeah. rest of the game. Right, honestly. right. And and I mean, you talking about Bobby and, and and KJ and all these guys like ball hunters, bro. Yeah. So it was just hard. And again, just finding my little niche, which was getting sack fumbles, and that's kind of how I, I played my role in this whole defense. Yeah, absolutely. And and for you who rushed uh, on the left side a lot, uh, you know, you were great at top down rushes where you know you get that jump, you'd hook the rip or you'd swipe or whatever it was you were doing to get that to that top yeah. hip. And and that's the way a guy on the left can get those sack fumbles, you know, because the guys on the right, they always have the blind side. That ball is just sitting out there. But for you, yeah. you did a great job of that. Um, 
with that D line group, was there one player that was the most underrated? I know I didn't, I didn't, I didn't warn you that this is this yeah. is a question. Was there one? Was there one guy that just didn't get the credit he deserved? I think the the one guy, honestly, it, it would be KJ and myself. Yeah. Honestly, KJ yeah. Wright, uh, who has I think been elite for a long time, but never really got the recognition. I mean, the outside outside yeah. linebacker position is always going to be hard if you play in a traditional, uh, you know, four three type of space because you're going to get guys like Von Miller Absolutely. and all those guys Absolutely. that play in a three four. But also myself, from the standpoint of, I mean. Outside of my peers, nobody really knew who Cliff Avery was, right? right? And every year, year in and year out, <laughs> my man, uh, <laughs> every year, year in and year out, you know, I'm consistent as far I was consistent as far as for, you know, getting sack numbers yeah. and different things like that. But again, the sack fumbles. I mean, yeah. during during our 10 year career, uh, I, I want to say I, I led that in that, that group span, I led fumbles. sack fumbles. You know, so uh, I would say us too. You know, yeah. my, my my family and friends they would always compare me to like a Jamal Crawford or somebody yeah. like that. That yeah, everybody like that. their peers, everybody like their peers know, but but the fans you know, don't necessarily know, which was yeah. crazy to me. And I think that was part of you know for when you were in Detroit or when I'm in St. Louis, like people don't pay attention to us. But even when you got to a great place, there were so many great players, including yourself. <laughs> That sometimes they overlook the guy that hasn't been there forever, and you know, be, you being the new guy, and also you, you're a guy who, for the most part, was was you know, put your head down and work, and you know, yeah. so you weren't hearing from from you as much. You hear from like a Mike or something like that. And by the way, yeah. we both still keep in touch with Mike. Does that group keep in touch pretty good? Is there a group text firing off, oh, yeah. or is that group kind of gone their separate ways? Oh man, we were a pretty close knit group, man. And and you know, you had Mike B as a teammate as well. Mike B will make sure he keeps in contact with all his guys. Oh, first yeah. And foremost. oh yeah. Yeah, you know, group text, everything, but collectively, you know, all the guys from Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, uh, Cam Chancellor, I mean the list is long. All of us keep in contact. All of us, you know, we during the off season, we try to go on a vacation together, we all go to dinner, we do nice. different things together, uh, to because we were much more than just co-workers just yeah. teamwork teammates i mean we are all really close guys i mean our our, our our wives hang out kids do things together so yeah that i think and that showed why we were so good honestly is because we were genuinely friends we actually were cool and not necessarily just teammates or, or co-workers absolutely it's rare nowadays and we had it in st louis with a group that stayed together for a while um to keep a group together for a while and for guys to put their egos aside because we all have them and to try yeah. to work towards the same objective, and that ball can be all of ours. You know that that quarterback can be all of ours, and we got to work yeah. together. Uh, the Seahawks, ironically, now you know, fast forwarding, and you you get a lot of good looks at them. Um, their strength has not been on on up front on either side of the ball. Um, mm-hmm. What gives there, and what do they have to do to kind of mask those problems going into the postseason? Because when you look at it, they're near the bottom of the league in getting sacks and hits. As far as percentage is concerned, and Russ is getting hit and sacked at a very high high clip as well. Yeah, no, I mean it, it looks completely different from those heyday, those Seahawks days when you talk about LOB and the defense being kind of the core of 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 the team. Now it's completely different. Russell has to carry the team. You know, Russell, it's it's all on Russell and how they move forward. Up front, they haven't necessarily been playing well, especially on the defensive side of the ball, due to injuries, due to um, you know, a, a lot of different things. You look at Clowney and Ziggy, who they expected to essentially replace myself and Mike B and, mm-hmm. and Frank Clark and all those guys. But it's unfair to them, one, because of the standard. And then two, it's unfair because 
both those guys, you look at Clowney, Clowney didn't get here but four days before a game. You right. know what I'm saying? And, yeah, that and was, a whole new system, yeah. mm-hmm. whole new scheme. So people, are they just think it's put your hand in the dirt and go. No, no. It's, it's, it's a whole thing behind that. No. There's a technique, there's a philosophy, everything behind that. So, um, and then Ziggy, obviously, he didn't play much the year before due to injuries. And then you're like, oh, we expect you to come give us 12, 13 sacks this season. Extremely hard to do. So those guys, unfortunately, you know, were behind the eight ball going into the season. And they haven't necessarily been able to pick it up because of all that and on top of injuries as well. And then on the flip side, you know, you look at the offensive line. Those guys were the strength of the defense. And then guys started getting hurt. They Mm -hmm. lose Justin Britt, who I think played a major, major role. We all know the center is basically the quarterback of the offensive line. Yeah, not just that. He's a guy who can play guard, too, and can kick around. Exactly, exactly. A guy you can move around. So losing Justin Britt, I think, has hurt them a lot. Not saying Joey Hunt can't necessarily do it, but... The, the, the O-line, they need that quarterback. They need that guy to direct traffic. They need a guy they can trust in the middle to be able to make all those calls. And I think losing Justin Britt plays a big role in how they've looked in the passing game. Rushing-wise, I mean, Carson uh, just rushed for another 1,000 yards. So, obviously, the O-line plays a big role in that yeah. as well. But as far as for the passing game, Russell looks like he's running for his life from time to time. I know he does. And and that's been historically a thing there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I remember playing against you guys and thinking about – the O line was like coached to be aggressive. You're gonna get a full day's work. Like Breno and me used to yeah. just battle. Oh, but <laughs> but I was also gonna beat him a lot in pass pro. Like that was the trade off. You guys were great in the run game. Uh, Tom Cable set a tone. But I mean that's never been the thing. But then when you couple it with on the other side of the ball not having the presence up front, it gets to be a mm-hmm. little much. Now they're they're number one right now, and they're they're ten for the last ten uh, at that field in the playoffs. So. They get home field advantage. Well, first off, I'll ask you what happens week seventeen against the Niners, and then if they get Ooh, home field, wee. if they get home field, uh, do do you like them getting there to Miami? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, it, as far as for advantage, there really is an advantage to being here in Seattle. And every time they've had the number one uh, seed, they've gone to the Super Bowl. Now, I haven't necessarily won them all, obviously, yeah. but they've gone uh, the last three times that they've been the number one seed. So, yeah, obviously that plays a big role. Uh, week 17 is going to be the the difference maker, man. Um, last time they played them, they didn't have Kittle, um, you know, but they're also banged up right now as well. You know, obviously Sherm and a few other guys are banged up. So although those are my guys, yeah. uh, Richard Sherman and, and some yeah. of those guys over there, I wouldn't mind seeing them not play this week 17 as well. Right. So the Seahawks can get that number one seed. I do think they can play with the best of them, though. Uh, Seahawks, have, their identity this season is is interesting because they haven't blown anybody out. Last week, they had a chance to blow out the Panthers, and yet they still made it a tight yeah, game. They found a way. And they found a way to make it close, right? And that that seems to be their identity. They can't necessarily blow teams out because of the way the offense is, is laid out. But also the defense isn't necessarily their strength as it used to be in the past. But they are so battle tested, obviously. Yes. They're battle tested. They they go they go down to the wire. They truly believe you win the game in the fourth quarter. Um, and I think that in itself will allow them to make a run in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like uh if they get there. This will be, well, a lot of it is because Russ has taken the team and put it on his back, which is interesting because there's an entire another dynamic to, you know, Russ and who he felt comfortable being when it was a defensive team, and now it's mm-hmm. it's kind of his team. Um, but I would say that this would be the least good, I'm not going to say worse, the least good version of the Seahawks we've seen make a deep postseason run. This team has a lot of warts, but they've been able to cover them up because – 
They're well coached. Um, Russ has played out of his mind. And I think it's just a scrappiness to uh, to the Seahawks that has resonated culturally through the years. I, I do worry about them because of their their penchant for you know implosion. You know they they mm-hmm. do they do turn the ball over at some bad times. In in their four biggest games this year, they 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 spotted the other team points on defense and special teams. The Saints, the Ravens, the Niners, and then there was one other recently. I think I wanted mm-hmm. you know, so they're get, I think it was the the Vikings sure. game. Oh uh, yeah, the Vikings. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah. so they're giving up. They're spotting teams points, and you can't do that in the, in the playoffs. I worry about Chris Carson because Rashad Penny started to come on, right? Then he gets mm-hmm. hurt. The thing I worry about with Chris Carson is he he likes to put the ball on the ground, and in the playoffs, yeah. do you have to worry about him in big situations giving him the rock? Yeah, uh, he has had issues early on, and then uh, it, it kind of sparked. Uh, uh, up, it came up again. I want to say probably like three or four weeks ago, as far as for him putting the ball on the turf. But it's one of those things. Honestly, is you have to deal with it. This yeah. man's gonna, you know what I'm saying? It's like he's going to get you 100 yards a game. Yeah. going to get like oh, he's, he's, he got you 130. He's awesome. So it's like you kind of got to take the good with the bad in a, in a sense. But I do think he's figured it out, though. Yeah. You know, because you know the first three or four games he had like four or five uh, fumbles or whatnot, and then he went about six, seven weeks without it, and then it, again it came back up. But also, I think with losing Penny is is a big hit because he was just starting to figure things out. He was just starting to, um, you know, get things going because a lot of people around here were starting to call him a bust. And again, like I said, he was starting to figure it out. Right. And that could have been great one two punch. Yeah. So now it boils down to, you know, uh, CJ Procise, who he fumbled his first. Yeah, I know. The first day of the exchange. Yeah, that's exactly, exa- and that's exactly that stability that Penny was giving them a, in the depth. It's going to be a fun ride, no matter what uh, in the playoffs. I like him as much as anybody. I think the the team that that San Francisco least wants to see. I think they could be a team that beat San Francisco three times in one season, and that I can't remember the yeah. last time that happened. But uh, it feels like 2012 to me. Mm. It feels like that kind of rivalry, which is really cool. And we had a lot of those in in 2012 and in those years um, in the NFC West. I want to hit you with some quick hitters before you go. Uh, Loudest moment you ever heard at Seattle? Ooh, loudest moment. Um, I wasn't here for the beast quake, but I would say playoff game against Drew Brees. I got a sack fumble. Mike Mm. B caught it and house caught it. And that was like... Some intense stuff right there. That man. wasn't the it, it Mike. Like, that wasn't Mike. Mike Bennett on a bicycle, was it? No, no. <laughs> no that was after the no, Green no, Bay no, game. No, that was Green Bay. That yeah, Green that Bay. was after Green Bay. <laughs> That's. Funny. But yeah, that would probably be the loudest that I've I've uh, I've heard it um, and been a part of for sure. Um, what does Michael Bennett do after football? <laughs> oh man, he can do so many different. So many things. things. Me and you knowing him, right? He could do media if he wanted to. He could. This man is teaching uh, at the University of Hawaii during the off season. <laughs> Being a man writes books. Who yeah. knows? He can do all of that. You know what, you know what I jo- I joked with him because he wrote that book. What makes white people uncomfortable? I said you need to write a book that says what makes white pass rushers uncomfortable because you need to <laughs> stay in your fucking rush lane, dude. Hey, hey, have you ever seen a wider three technique than this cat? Oh no, no. So I'm like. You know what? It, I will say him being in a wide three helped me out a lot. Yeah, because you can always play off. But you have to be—you have to be a speed rusher, though. Yeah, exactly. I used to explain to him like, "Hey, Mike, you know, like I know Cliff and I, you know, we're kind of same draft class, all that stuff, and and there's parallels, but 
I'm 34 years old. I can't run the edge like like uh, Cliff at, at, in Seattle right now. You got to give me a little space. Um, okay, so how about your favorite road city to play? Oh man, favorite road city. Um, this is going to be uh, a little different, but I would say the Panthers, honestly, because wow. um, one, it felt like we played them every single year. I was here in Seattle, so it felt like a divisional opponent. But also the fact that, um, you know, it was close to home. Uh, I lived in Charlotte, obviously, but then my mom could come to the game. My wife's family could come to the game. So it would always be a a great family affair at the house uh, the night before the game. Nice. Okay. So best offensive tackle that you played against? Best offensive tackle, (laughs) I would say, is Joe Thomas, man. Yeah, that guy's pretty good. And I would say the reason why is – he was just so doggone patient, bro. Yeah. Like, wouldn't give you hands, wouldn't give you anything. And I'm sitting right. there as a pass rusher, like, give me something so I could knock him down so I could just run right by you. And right. he would jump the snap count right along with me, so it, it would frustrate Yeah, me. he's out in front uh, of you. It's like, it's crazy. I um, I, I played him once. Yours? Yours? Who was mine? Probably the guy I played in, in practice a lot because I consider if I played somebody over uh, on the other side, I was like so right-handed, meaning yeah. I wouldn't want to play on the other side. Like I felt drunk over there. So Me like too. I, I went from yeah from being a decent rusher yeah, to, to like being like average, bro, <laughs> just flailing, like not even feeling like I. But Tyron Smith is probably the best left tackle I've seen. Um, and then on on our side, I got to go against Lane Johnson a lot at the tail end of my career every day. He's the best right tackle I played against, in my opinion. I mean, the guy te- technically and athletically, the whole nine. Um, how about the best shit talker on the Seattle team? <laughs> Obviously, I, I played with Richard Sherman, yep. Mike B. You know about Mike B. Uh, but Mike B, and, Mike B, it's so high pitch. You're like, is that, is that big, scary dude saying, is that, is that, is that who just said that? <laughs> yeah, but I would say Mike B has some one hitter quitter lines. Yeah, oh yeah. Although it's <laughs> high pitch, cle- whatnot, he's very he clever. Some, he comes out. I'm like, where do you like? First off, where do you get this from? And then secondly, bro, he's about to snap the rock. So yeah, I, take- I would say, I would say Mike B. I would really? Say Mike B. I, I've seen him just stand up above the line of scrimmage while somebody's audible and just start going in on their like their girlfriend or wife or something crazy like <laughs> That's that. That's ridiculous. All right, before <laughs> I let you go, because I almost forgot, I, I didn't slide this one one in on you. We I did warn you before for the people listening. I would not fuck my friends over. Josh Gordon, do you have any take on this? I mean, Josh is obviously suspended indefinitely. We know yeah. uh, as players a different side of things than the fans do. Yeah, man, I feel bad for him. I mean, obviously, everybody's all football and all this other stuff. Obviously, the man has an issue. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and he's dealing with some demons and different things like that. So for me, it's just more so I just hope he gets the help, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, hope he gets the right people around him and, and not a bunch of yes men or, or people that just are OK with him kind of going down this this uh, this road. Um, I just think he needs to get the right people around him again and, and just get the right help. And screw football, man. Screw exactly, football. dude. Let's get him on the right path to be just a good citizen of, of, of the world. You know what I mean? And, and just getting him on the right path. It's unfortunate. Obviously, you know, you would love to have him on your team. But more so than anything, man, let's 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 collectively as a football community try to get him on the right path to do right for himself uh, in the rest of his life. And I think that reinforcement comes from the goal at the end of this isn't to play football again, it's to be well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I agree 1,000%. It's all about him being the best human being he can be for himself and society. You yeah. know what I mean? It's football. 
And and I don't know the details that this was out of this. This was out of the Seahawks' hands, correct? This was he yeah, failed tests. Is, uh, so, yeah. um, but I I, I want to believe that 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 Pete would have done the right thing. Pete seems like a guy who cares about his players. I could be wrong. I never played for yeah. him, but yeah, no, no. I think I think Coach Carroll, if if he knew or whatever the case may have been, for sure. I definitely think. Uh, that organization in general, honestly, and you know about the NFL, yeah. most organizations don't care about any of their of their players. Um, but I can honestly, truly say, at least from my perspective and how things played out, they would have tried to do the right thing because that's what they did with me and, yeah. and some other guys. So yeah. I think they would have definitely done the right thing by Josh. But this is on Josh. This is on the NFL and, and, and you know, him failing tests. You know, once you're in the program, bro, they test you probably. Yep. Especially someone like himself, he probably gets tested, you know, two, three times a, a week. Exactly, and and, uh, and for some guys who have arrests for anything off the field, for the the people listening, if you've been arrested for something off the field that had to do with drugs or DUI, then you get tested for like everything. Like you, yeah, can, you yeah. know, and, uh, uh, you could come in with a little booze in your system from last night and fail a test. Um, no question. You know, and 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 it's not just weed that guys fail fail tests for. Listen, there's plenty of guys in the league who smoke weed. I've talked about it at length. Um, you know, the Josh Gordon thing is way deeper than than that, and, and I hope he gets well. One one chance for you to – I want you to plug your uh, your charity stuff. You do a lot of great work in Haiti and elsewhere. Yeah, man, you're part of my motivation too now. My God, uh, you dude. Know, I, I, I've always paid attention to what you and, and, and what your organization has been doing, but the Cliff Averill Family Foundation, man, we, we created this thing about seven years ago. Uh, it's geared toward the mission is geared towards uh, juvenile diabetes. So I do a lot of work with JDRF Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. I've helped them raise over two hundred and fifty thousand over the last uh, few years, but also do a lot of work in Haiti, man. I'm yep. Haitian. Um, that plays a big role in why, obviously, with the diabetes. But we built the elementary school out there, which I'm extremely excited about. That house is about five hundred kids. Uh, you know, we built over twenty five homes out there as well. Uh, we do football camps. We do a wide range of different things in Haiti. Also here in the Seattle market, we we do a lot of different things from health fairs to, like I just said, doing different things with JDRF and in uh, the Odessa clinic as well, which is a clinic that I support. I'm actually taking some kids shopping tomorrow nice. uh, for Christmas. You know, just giving back to the community, man. That's we're awesome. so blessed. We're so fortunate to 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 be in a position that we're in for and and playing the game of football and and all those different things. So it's all about giving back, man. Uh, and, football and, was just. Stone to, to make a difference in and the world. Cl- and Cliff has certainly done that for anybody listening. Check out his stuff. I can honestly say he's he's a walk-the-walk guy and was a great player. And now he's great on the radio. You can catch him in Seattle on the radio appreciate as well. It. So thanks for joining us, Cliff. I really appreciate it, man. Man, appreciate you having me, man. Don't course, make dude. sure this ain't the last time. It won't I'm be, on. dude. I, I didn't want you. I didn't want to have to like you know like we're not we haven't fully bloomed yet with the listenership. So I didn't want one of the greats to come on the show for fifteen thousand. We're trying to drive listenership up. So tell your friends to listen to Greenlight Pod too, Cliff. Hey, I got you. I got you. Like appreciate I said, you, make bro. sure this ain't the last time. No, I'll we got you. You gonna be out there Super Bowl, man? Yeah, make I'll see sure you. I'll, in, I'll see you in Florida. There. All right, lady. I'll see you out there, my man. Good, dude. All right, take it easy. Cool.